Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Praise God for a Savior who did it all. Who declared it is finished. You believe that this morning? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is where we find ourselves. If you are new to North Roanoke, uh, we, we don't try to improve on what God has said. We try to explain what God has said. And that's why we just work our way through books of the Bible and simply explain uh, what God is saying to us. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Philippians. We've been working through the book of Philippians going back into the fall and then we uh, took a break during the Thanksgiving and Christmas season and we had a, a challenge for sort of New Year's and now we're back to Philippians, all right? So flip your way to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll jump in. I know, I've used that once before, and it landed just as well last time. Uh, it was really, really bad. Um, for the sake of context, we're going to read verse 3. I, I, I covered verse 3 last week, but to sort of get us in the flow of where we're going, we're going to read verse 3 again, and then we'll get down through verse 7. Uh, everybody got there? If you're not there, say, I'm not there. All right, you get one more second. Philippians chapter 3. If you don't got it, say, don't got it. All right, Philippians 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Verse 3 of chapter 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so last week we talked about those are three marks of a true follower of God, of a true believer, right? We worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. And we explained that a little bit, but now in verses 4 through 6, Paul is going to tease out ways that one might put confidence in the flesh. So let's read that. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Would you pray with me? God, help us to take whatever gain that is not in Christ and count it as loss so that we might know Christ more fully, more deeply, more truly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of not having confidence in the flesh. Last week we saw Paul calling out the Judaizers. That's the people we think he's writing against in this portion of chapter 3 People who were saying that it wasn't enough for Gentiles to come to Jesus, 
to become God's people, first they needed to become Jewish. They needed to take on circumcision and observe the Sabbath and its regulations and follow dietary laws. And the, the appeal of this to the Christians in Philippi was likely that it would be a way of avoiding persecution. Christians were coming under increasing persecution for following Jesus as Lord and Savior where Jews were not being persecuted. And so just rest in your Jewish identity and kind of sideline Jesus and then you'll have your best life now. But Paul has no patience for this way of thinking. He has no patience for any heresy that insists that Jesus is not enough or that Jesus has not accomplished enough for Gentiles to be full citizens in the kingdom of God. So he turns the tables in a major way and announces that the Philippian Christians, and that would be us as well, that we, whether we're Jew or Gentile, if we have faith in Christ, we are the true people of God. That's why he says at the beginning of verse 3, we are the circumcision. And such people, he tells us, worship God in the Spirit, they glory in Christ Jesus, and they put no confidence in the flesh. But what does it mean to put confidence in the flesh? In verses 5 and 6, Paul gives us some concrete examples of relying on our flesh rather than upon King Jesus for our assurance of standing before God. But if, if Paul as a Christ follower, refuses to boast or have confidence in his flesh, then how do we even get these examples of how he might have confidence in his flesh? Does that make sense? Christians don't boast in their flesh, and then Paul, in a sense, boasts in his flesh. <laughs> like, how do we know your credentials, Paul, your fleshly credentials, if you're not going to boast in them? Well, here's how. In verse 4, he explains, he's like, look, these Jews who are still relying on their Jewishness, if it, if it helps to make my point that Jesus is infinitely superior to Jewish ritual or achievement or any other system of senselessly trying to earn our way to God, you know what? I'll play their game. And I won't just play their game. I'll play their game and I'll beat them at it. Christians have no confidence in the flesh. However... Because Paul so forcefully needs to prove or demonstrate that salvation and membership in God's family is entirely through Jesus, he'll play their game for just a moment. And this is what he has in mind when he says in verse 4, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If they want to put confidence in, in their flesh and what they do or their status or their achievement, look, I can do the same. Also means Paul could play could place confidence in his flesh, just like the people who are trying to tell the Philippians that Jesus isn't enough. And then he adds this little zinger. Well, not just like them. Actually better than them. I'll play your game and I'll, and I'll beat you at it. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I've got more. And then what follows in verses 5 through 6 is a list of seven items or ways that Paul excelled in Judaism. All right? And the first four pertain to sort of his, his status as a Jew by, by birth, and the last three pertain more to his devotion and dedication to advancing in Judaism before Jesus so graciously interrupted him on his way to Damascus. So this morning... I am borrowing significantly from commentators Tony Morita and Francis Chan 
who extrapolate from these seven things that Paul's going to list what it looks like to put confidence in our flesh, and I'm going to exhort us and encourage us to not put confidence in the flesh. I want to draw out seven sources of false confidence or false assurance, things that aren't going to do you any good when you stand before a holy God on judgment day. If you bring anything on this list and say, man, this is going to be why God accepts me, you're going to be sorely mistaken. And I don't want you to show up on judgment day and be sorely mistaken because you don't get any do-overs, all right? So the first thing Paul shows us in verse 5 is that we must not put confidence in religious ritual or routine. Paul begins verse 5 by telling us not only that he was circumcised, but he was circumcised on the eighth day. He, he was by the book, even in his circumcision. His parents got him circumcised at the right time. Back in Genesis 17, 12, the Lord said to Abraham, who, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generation. So he's not just a biological descendant of Abraham. He even pulled off the ritual signifying his inclusion among the Jews with perfection. Now, we as Christians would not put confidence in our religious rituals, would we? I mean, we, we wouldn't ever say, well, you know, I was baptized when I was a kid, so I'm good. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've never heard that, right? I, I got to be honest with you. Infant baptism, the baptism of babies, concerns me deeply, and not just because I'm a Baptist and it's not biblical. It concerns me most profoundly and most deeply because of the number of people I have personally met and talked to who are living like hell and with no concern for God's people or the gospel, and yet when I have a conversation with them, they say, well, I was baptized when I was a child. My parents baptized me. Dear beloved, the faith of someone's parents in the act of infant baptism does not save their child. God can surely work through the faith of parents to bring their children to faith themselves, but saving faith in Christ must be expressed by the individual who is being saved. Your parents can't save you. You can't be a born a Christian. You have to be born again as a Christian through personal, individual saving faith in Christ. We must not place faith in our baptism. You say, well, you're picking on infant baptism. We can't put faith in baptism by immersion either. Uh, if I had $5 for every time I've asked someone about their relationship with the Lord Jesus, only to be told I was baptized when I was a child or when I was a teen or was I, when I was in my early 20s, I could probably feed my family for a month or two or three. And that is not hyperbole. Right. Right. Baptism does not save what God does on the inside of you that is signified by baptism saves, but Christ saves. Should you be baptized? Absolutely you should be baptized if you have trusted in Christ. But don't put your faith in being baptized. Put your faith in Christ and then tell the world what Christ has done through the ordinance of baptism. Of course, baptism isn't the only ritual that can trip people up, right? 
There's, there's going to be people who spend an eternity apart from the favorable presence of God who attended worship services almost every Sunday. And they were awfully proud of it. But they were never desperate for Jesus and communion with his people. They were just checking off a box so that God would look at them and say, hey, look how great they are. There, there will be even people in eternity who calculated a tithe down to the penny for their entire adult lives. But they weren't worshiping a God they knew and loved, but a false God that they were just trying to get on his good side. The thinking goes something like this. I will give exactly the minimum required for God to be okay with me. As long as I'm up on my ties, I'm okay. Beloved, don't misunderstand me. I want you to be generous and lavish in your giving, but don't give with that motivation or that way of thinking. All that is is putting confidence in the flesh. If I could just give to be good enough for God to accept me and get on his good side, you can never give enough to get on God's good side. You've got to receive what God has given through Christ. These are just a couple of examples, right? Baptism, church attendance, our giving. Beloved, salvation is not earned by what we give, but it's received by those who believe in Christ who gives everything. The gospel is Jesus alone. And the gospel is not a secret, by the way. Access to God is in Christ alone, and the church is to broadcast it as far and as wide as we can, which means that we should be wary. Y'all know the word wary, watchful, concerned about? Any club or group or fraternity, or society with its own rituals, or insights, or principles that are seen as giving the members right standing with God. We don't need any secret religious rites or routines reserved for an inner group that are not announced in the gospel of Jesus Christ for all to hear. So if there's any group or club that says you can create your own path to God, make your own God, and you can get there and be saved by that God, run away from that stuff. We are not saved by reciting the right words, although it's good to know the Word of God and sound doctrine. We are not saved by our sobriety, although those who are filled with the Spirit have no need to run to the bottle. We are not saved by anything any pastor or other officiant says at the end of our funeral or our graveside. Once you pass away, there's nothing I can do. There's no chant I can make. Salvation and inclusion among God's people is not in perfectly executed religious rituals or routines, but in the risen Christ alone. Don't put confidence in religious ritual or routine. It will help you not one whit on the day of Christ's return. But then Paul says, he's of the people of Israel. And Paul is showing us here that we must not put confidence in our ethnic background or our family tree or our family pedigree. You know, if anyone in the world should have right to place confidence in their ethnic background, it would be a Jew. And especially a Jew like Paul, who could still trace his lineage to a particular tribe. Paul comes from a long line of Jews who've taken their family tree quite seriously. He comes from a long line of people who have overcome adversity and persevered and made significant contributions to civilization. He comes from a people characterized by hard work and ingenuity. 
and resourcefulness and intellect. When Jews have been scattered among the nations, many of them have risen to the highest levels of government and been used by God to aid in the flourishing of all citizens. Paul is an Israelite, just like the Judaizers. But this sort of lineage and background and biology is not at all what he has confidence in in order to stand before God. Rather, he is confident in the Son of God. Sent through Israel, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sinless Son sent by God to be born of a woman to crush Satan's head and deliver not just sons and daughters of Abraham by birth, but sons and daughters of Adam and Noah and even Ishmael and Canaan and Esau as well if they would look to Christ. Jesus has come to deliver Jew and Gentile alike regardless of family tree or ethnic background. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe he's in all nations, all peoples kind of God? In 2017, we began to pray that God and his amazing grace might allow us to be 15% or more multi-ethnic in our worship attendance by 2025. I don't know that we're there yet, but look around. God's doing it. God is bringing the nations to our church, and I'm so thankful. Why do we pray in this way? Because God's family is a multi-ethnic family. Our confidence is not in our ethnicity. Our confidence is not in our family tree. Our confidence is the king who hung on the tree for you and for me. It is not by biology, but by faith in Jesus who was broken to heal all kinds of people from all kinds of places and paths and peculiarities that we have faith. We want to reach anyone from any of the 105 nationalities currently represented in the Roanoke Valley because God sent his son to save sinners from all nations. You believe that? Any goodness that we see in our background is not from us. It is a reflection of the goodness of God. But did you know that every path that led you to being a person who exists in 2024 is marked by brokenness? There's brokenness in every one of our backgrounds. And God can heal it. He can heal it in you. The path to God is not found in comparing who is more or less oppressed. The path to healing is not found in saying, well, she's worse than me, or he's worse than me, or I work harder than him, or any other sort of ethnic comparison nonsense. There's no culture, there's no family, there's no lineage that was not so broken that only Jesus could heal it. Generational curses, how are they broken? They're broken one sinner at a time, bowing to Jesus. And when that happens, racism must die in our hearts. Jesus died to save those people, whoever those people are in your life. Jesus died to take very different people and make them one people in him, which means that gospel oneness should trump our family, ethnic, or other differences and deliver us into worshiping our king together. And by God's grace at North Roanoke, we're going to keep trusting in Christ alone who will bring us together as one people, God's blood-bought people, to worship Him together in spirit and truth, no matter which side of the valley you're on, no matter what side of the tracks you were raised on, no matter your education, your career, or your income, it does not matter because it's not by biology or 
family tree, but by Christ who hung on the tree that we can be saved. Next, Paul says, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Which shows us not only do we not put confidence in our background or our family tree, we don't put confidence in our rank. Paul's, Paul's not just any Jew. Unlike many Jews who had lost track of their tribal ancestry, Paul knew that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. The, the tribe that gave Israel its first king. The tribe whose territory included the city of Jerusalem, the only tribe other than Judah that remained with the southern kingdom and kept seeking the fulfillment of God's promises through the king that would come in David's line. Paul's not just an Israelite. He ranks high among those who are Israelites because he's from Benjamin's tribe. And when most people don't even know what tribe they're from anymore, he knows he's from the tribe of Benjamin. But he also knows that trusting in his rank for salvation is utter foolishness because his rank can do nothing to remove the rank foulness of his sinful heart. There is only one of unmatched rank who can remove and forgive our sin, and his name is Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten, uncreated Son of God who came and took on human flesh in the line of David and lived a perfect life, both inwardly and outwardly. He's not just from the tribe of Judah, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it is only his omnipotent roar that can conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. Your years of membership at North Roanoke will not save you. Your terms of service as a deacon when you stand before the King of Kings will not save you. If you are trusting in how you stack up against others rather than in trusting in Christ alone, I want to urge you to repent before it's too late. If you're just playing games of comparison to other people rather than looking to Christ who alone is the sinless Savior, repent and trust in Christ. Your rank will not save you when you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul's given us three indicators of status, religious ritual, ethnic background, and rank among the Jews that he could boast in. But he doesn't because they're nothing compared to Jesus. And then he proceeds to tell us that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's not just that he was an Israelite, just not, not just that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, but he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And when he says this, he's telling us that we must not put confidence in our traditions or in our culture. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was fluent in Greek, and yet he never became Greek in his orientation toward life and the world. He was a Hebrew. Not just by culture, but by language. He knew Hebrew. He studied with Gamaliel. He was Hebrew by tradition and culture and worldview. He did not assimilate into Greek culture and sideline the traditions of his forefathers. Before he met Jesus, Paul could have beaten just about anyone in a contest to determine who was the most Jewish of all. Paul would win. He was a Hebrew of all the Hebrews as defined 
through years of rich history and culture and tradition that was supposed to all lead to the ultimate Hebrew, the Lord Jesus Christ, but tragically so many missed it. Do we not have a a way of turning our traditions into idols? Do we not have a way of trusting in our traditions rather than in Christ? Beloved, if we can't worship Jesus unless everything looks, smells, and sounds like it did in 1973 or 1983 or 2003, that's a problem. I walked into a church in North Cary in 2014 for the first time. They were dying. In their heyday, they had had 500 people coming. They had a thriving Awana program. And if you needed to know that, all you needed to do was walk into the foyer of the church where they had proudly displayed their regional Awana trophies from 1983. And that became a memento in my mind as I proceeded to get to know more about the church and why they were dying. They were, they were still celebrating that high water mark of the regional championship of Awana in 1983 and 2014. God help us, church. We have work to do today. That church smelled like 1983. The community changed around the church, and the church refused to reach the community that changed. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we are not here for our traditions. We are not saved by our church culture. We're not saved by the decade of our childhood. Everybody gets nostalgic for the decade of their childhood, right? Sort of that decade of your formative years between 8 and 18 when everything was great and mom and dad took care of everything. That's the way life should be. And then it's different a decade later and you're like, well, those people don't know what they're doing. we got to get over that and get back into Christ. We are not saved by our time or location or of our worship service. We're not saved by the name of our small group ministry. Now, don't misunderstand. Traditions don't need to be discarded for no reason, but our guide is God's Word, not our traditions. We're saved by Jesus, not by the way we've always done it. If Jesus walks into this room through the preaching of His Word and He challenges our traditions, then we yield to Him and to His Word. And we do it with rejoicing because He's the one who gave His blood so that I could live and I'd obey Him. We should be always open. The Word of God is fixed, it is settled, it is secure, but we're always learning and growing and deepening in our understanding and our walk. Don't tell me that's the way we've always done it, please. It crawls all over me because I really just don't care. At the end of verse 5, Paul makes the transition from his status to his personal achievements. Four ways that he had high status as a Hebrew. And he says, look, I'm going to get to heaven one day and none of those are going to do me any good. But let me tell you about, I wasn't just a Hebrew. I was like all in. I did some pretty cool stuff as a Hebrew. And he says, as to the law of Pharisee. And with this statement, Paul is showing us we must not put confidence in our rule keeping. We must not put confidence in our rule keeping. 
Paul was not a run-of-the-mill rule-keeping Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means the separated ones. Pharisees didn't just follow the laws of Moses. They even added to the laws of Moses. 614, I think it was, laws of Moses. Those weren't enough. Let's add some more. I might be wrong on that number, but more than 600 laws of Moses. And they just piled on some more. It's not enough to keep the laws of Moses. We're not just any Jews. We're like super Jews. We're not just separated from the Gentiles, those dogs over there. We're separated from the rest of you guys too. The Jesus Storybook Bible, one of my favorite Bibles to give uh, young children, calls the Pharisees the extra super holy people. Paul was a part of the group of Jews seen as morally superior because they kept a lot of rules. Paul studied in Pharisaic law with the leading scholar in Phariseeism at the time, Gamaliel. He was, he was a rule keeper. We got any rule followers here this morning? Nobody. <laughs> Liars. You know what I mean when I say rule followers, right? Like the, the always whisper in a library. Never run with scissors in your hand. Tuck in your shirt. Always wear your seatbelt. Wash your hands with warm water for at least 30 seconds. Sort of rule followers. Or maybe you were that kid who tried to invent a playground game that quickly became unplayable for anyone except for yourself because you kept changing the rules to make sure that you won. That's what legalism is, man. I'm just going to make up a bunch of rules to make myself look good, but that's not the game that God is playing. God is playing the game of perfection inwardly and outwardly, and you'll never win that game. You'll always lose unless you come to Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Some of you are just like, Pastor Daniel doesn't wear his seatbelt. Look, I don't like to, but usually I do. But following rules is not inherently bad. You should wear your seatbelt. It's a good idea. But wearing my seatbelt is not going to do me any good when I stand before Jesus. I, I've been at people's deathbed and asked them where they would spend eternity. And I have gotten answers before like this. Well, I was an Eagle Scout. And? I've always provided for my family. I've always given to the church. Or this one. I never hurt anybody. Man, is that the standard? Beloved, we are not saved by keeping rules. We are saved by the ruler of the universe. The one who came down and lived perfectly, outwardly and inwardly. Not to look down on us because he kept on the rules, but to lift us up and deliver us from boasting in our rule following to boasting in him, the only sinless Savior. Don't boast in your rule following. It won't do you any good on the day of judgment. Finally, or excuse me, next, Paul says in verse 6, As to zeal... He was a persecutor of the church. All right, so he didn't just keep a bunch of rules. He was also zealous or, or passionate about his Judaism. So much so that he persecuted the church 
And, and if you remember from our series in Acts, he's persecuting other Jews who are converting to Christ. You remember this? So what is Paul showing us? We must not put confidence in our religious passion or sincerity. He was sincere. He had a lot of passion. And Paul says in verse 6, you want to really assess, dear Judaizers that are messing with the church in Philippi, do you really want to play the comparison game about who was more passionate about their Jewish heritage? I was persecuting the church. Sure, you're persecuting the church now in Philippi, giving them a little bit of a hard time. You want to know the hard time that I gave? I stood by and oversaw the stoning of Stephen. I I ran Jewish Christians out of their homes in Jerusalem. I was on my way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back and have them executed in Jerusalem. You want to talk about passion? I win, Paul says. He was persecuting the church. Paul was nothing if he was not sincere and passionate. But you know what, church? Zeal and passion and sincerity do not save. Hell will have sincere people who were sincerely wrong. Your co-worker who is sincere and kind and passionately pursuing Allah needs Jesus. Her sincerity will not work when she stands before the one true God and His only begotten Son. And beloved, I, I know many of you have walked with Christ long enough to experience the highs and the lows and the in-betweens in terms of feeling it in your walk with Jesus. I'm here to tell you this morning, you're not saved by your emotions, but by King Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our confidence is not in how we feel in the moment, but in King Jesus who saves us and assures us in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, not even yourself, will snatch them out of my hand. Having a rough season, discouraged, Do you hear his voice in his word? Even in the time of trouble, does it resonate as true? Is your faith in how you feel moment by moment? Or is it in King Jesus who saves and never lets go? Don't misunderstand me, church. It's good. To be passionate for Jesus. Indeed, it's great to be passionate for Jesus, but we must not put our ultimate confidence in our passion, but in Christ alone. Finally, Paul completes his list with this phrase as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And what Paul is showing us in this last phrase is we must not put confidence in any righteousness. That we can achieve. We must, we must not put any confidence or our confidence in any righteousness we can achieve. Paul concludes by saying he was blameless as to or concerning the righteousness under 
the law. In Matthew 5.20, Jesus calls it the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Paul's not saying that he was sinless before God. In Romans 7, he tells us how a right view of the law showed him his sin on the inside and his condemnation before a holy God. Sure, on the exterior, it looked like he was keeping the law, but inwardly, Paul tells us the law exposed that I was coveting. And you can't see that somebody's coveting. You can't see that, but it's there in the Ten Commandments. And sure enough, he wanted what other people had. He looked around and saw somebody that looked more righteous than him, and he wanted that. And he says, you know what? The law showed me my heart in Romans 7. But in terms of keeping the law that people could see, Paul didn't have any marks against him. He didn't have any blemishes on his record. The very sort of external, visible righteousness that these Judaizers are telling the Philippian Christians to adopt is a righteousness that Paul has already tried. It's a righteousness that he's already excelled at. And you know what he found that it was? Empty. Looking good to the world did him no good at all. Why would they go back? Why would these Philippian Christians go back to something that was designed to show them their wicked hearts and desperate need to be given righteousness through Jesus? How about us this morning? Why would we place confidence in the appearance of righteousness? Even in really good and important things. Like our giving and our praying and our Bible reading and our singing and our church attendance and not cussing and not being under the influence of drugs and alcohol and wearing our seatbelt and not exceeding the speed limit. None of these things can save us and give us life in the Spirit. As Paul says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The righteousness you need comes through Christ by way of the Spirit who unites us with Him by faith. So what does Paul do with this impressive list of his religious standing and achievements. Look at verse 7 and take it in. Whatever gain I had, and it was a lot of gain. People thought thought Paul was the, the next big deal. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Literally through Christ. Whenever we encounter Jesus and set our accomplishments and our status and achievements next to Jesus, they are nothing. Indeed, they are actually worse than nothing. They are a loss. Why are they a loss? Because they only serve to blind us to our desperate need for Christ if we're trusting in them. Any confidence in ourselves, in our ability to get to God by what we do or what culture we come from or what passion we have in any particular moment, it is actually a giant drain on the spiritual portfolio of your life because the source of life is Christ and not your flesh. So what does Paul do? He counts it all as loss through Christ. 
How can you sell off playing the, the game? How can you sell off the, the rat race of self-righteousness? You can do it through Christ. You can sell off your rule-keeping, law-keeping, goody-two-shoesing, religious routining, trusting in the way it's always been, only through Christ. So this morning, the invitation is simple. As our worship team comes, who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your background, your accomplishments, your achievements, your passion, or are you trusting in Christ? And many of you here this morning, I trust, would say, my, my hope is in Christ, but if I'm honest, I, I'm tempted in one of these areas. I'm tempted to trust in my passion in the moment. I'm tempted to trust in the fact that my, my granddaddy was a pastor. None of that's going to save you. Whatever confidence you're placing in the flesh, this morning I want to ask as we stand and sing, if you would come, lay it down, count it as loss, and take up Christ. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, have your will and your way among us. Lord, we ask that our confidence would not be in ourselves, but it would be in King Jesus, the only sinless Savior who conquered death, hell, and the grave, and who never lets go those who call upon the name of the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.